Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. You don't need me to tell you that Graham Norton is a man of many talents. He's captured the UK's hearts with his charisma, his humor, and warmth interviewing the most glitzy and glamorous guests in showbiz uh, from that red sofa in a hugely popular chat show that's been running for near on 30 years or 30 series. Uh, that's not to forget his virgin radio show, books, podcast, and his own super successful writing career. Graham Norton burst onto the writing scene with his debut novel, Holding, in 2016, which was recently adapted uh, for an ITV drama. I spoke to Graham live at an evening event at the Cheltenham Literature Festival last night about his latest novel, Forever Home, about a 40-something-year-old woman who embarks on a second relationship. But there is more to his story that meets the eye. We spoke about everything, from marriage later in life to becoming a writer, why he used to feel like an outsider, how Ireland has changed dramatically in the last five decades, and, of course, his thoughts on fame and cancel culture and we talked about how he channels darker sides to his psyche when it comes to putting his stories onto the page here he is i think my books tend to begin in a dark place the the normally the the germ of the idea is something quite traumatic and then uh you you know you want to lighten it a bit but what i didn't expect in this book is it almost bits of it turn out to almost farce it's kind of properly comedy and so it strikes me that the vibe of this book is... I don't know if anyone here has spread ashes uh, of a, a, a person. Of my dog. Oh, well, you, there you go. And, and it's that thing where it's the saddest thing in the world. You're crying because you're saying goodbye to someone or something you loved. But it's also hilarious because you end up eating them and they're in your hair and you suddenly realise, oh, they're in my drink. Just, it's, it's a funny day as well as a sad day. And so this book has a spreading ashes vibe. It, it's, it's quite sad, but it's also funny. The book opens, for those of you who got to page three before the lights went down, um, it opens with this wonderful 
almost, yeah, quite cinematic opening where we peer into the houses of a number of people, residents, um, on, I'm trying to remember the name of the town, Bally Tour, Bally Tour, yeah. uh, on this Bally Tour street before we zoom in on Carol, who is yeah. the heroine, your, at number your seven. main character yeah. at number seven. Um, and it, there's something almost creepy about it, like a bit of a peeping Tom. Are you quite nosy? Well, aren't we all? I mean, I love this time of the year. I love this time of the year when the evenings are, are drawing in, <laughs> but people turn the lights on before they pull their curtains. <laughs> I love being out with the dog about half six, and you're going, ooh, 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 ooh. Um, so yes, <laughs> yes, that is me. Uh, but I think that's all of us when we, we're out and about. Um, and I think there's something interesting in Ireland where, you know, What's in that street in that town isn't that typical. Because actually, I think it's different in, in England. I think people live in British villages. You know, there's a village green and there are houses around it. In Ireland, it seems to me, the village is the, the shop, the post office, a couple of pubs, maybe a garage. But most people live outside the village. Most people, because land is so important, everyone wants their little plot. We've so, seen the field. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's, there's a kind of a, an isolation around uh, Irish villages, I think, where people think they know everyone else's business, but actually it's a very good place for secrets and often quite dark secrets. And so that's why I think the books, uh, all the books so far, have been set in West Cork, because it's just a, a good place for that kind of a yarn. So let's talk a bit more about the, the, the funny and the... No, in fact, let's talk about Carol, first of all, because I feel like we've talked now for a few minutes and we've still not established what the book's about, okay. which is bad me. Um, <laughs> so uh, tell me uh, about Carol, about her relationship, her sort of late blooming or a second... Yeah, second I mean, long it's kind of where the, the novel came from. The novel came from a, a woman I met in America and she just said this phrase... She, she was packing up her house because she was moving upstate to be closer to her family. And she just had this phrase, um, of course, this is the second house I've packed up this year. And you know that I didn't ask any more because I didn't want to pry, but I was thinking, why would that be? Whose house would that be? And I decided it could have been a boyfriend. Because I think we all think if people are older and they're in a relationship, then that's a very stable relationship, that they've been together for decades. And, and in fact, that's not the reality now. There are lots of people in their 50s, 60s, 70s who have boyfriends and girlfriends. And in that instance, if somebody happens to one of those partners, there isn't the security, there isn't the stability that comes with marriage or any of those things. So um, that's where Carol came from. What would happen, you know, she uh, is divorced, she's in her late 40s, she's an older boyfriend, and he uh, becomes ill and his children waste no time in putting him in a home and then turfing Carol out of her house. And then Moira and Dave, her, Carol's parents, um, they become sort of moral warriors and they decide to right a wrong. Uh, but in doing so, unearth a whole heap of trouble, plot thickens, drama ensues the end. Great, excellent. Well, we've done that then. Um, can, can I digress for a moment then? Uh, because I'm wondering if you could have, you recently yourself got hitched. I did get yeah, married. Congratulations. Yes. Everyone yeah. can congratulations. congratulations. Um, <laughs> could you have written this book if you hadn't? Yes. In fact, I think I did write this book when I hadn't. My point being, <laughs> could you have published this book if you hadn't? Because it does. I think one of the things that, one of the very first things that struck me about it, and we'll go on to talk about 
other things in a moment, was this idea that here's this woman, she's had a totally legitimate relationship with this man, and of course there's no protection in the law at all. I mean, uh, that isn't why I got married. I think I got married because... Because <laughs> he was going to put me in a home? Is that, is that what you're saying? Uh, we haven't got to that yet. <laughs> yeah. No, I got married because I think... Um, I wouldn't say I've had a string, but don't Google it, of, uh, <laughs> of failed relationships. But I think one of the nice things about getting older is that when you do meet someone that you have that sort of connection with, you know to treasure it. You know that this doesn't come along all the time. And don't be blasé about this. This is, this is, a, this is a big deal. Um, and that was one of the reasons I got married. Um, and the other thing about getting married, uh, you know, when you're older, is I think, you know, like the vows are, are simpler. You know, I think till death do us part at my age seems more achievable. Uh, <laughs> One of the things that I found incredibly heartrendingly painful in this book, and maybe because uh, my own mother uh, has uh, dementia, I thought of it. You mentioned and, that, and, and I, thought about, I thought of you, yeah. And, and you very vividly evoke just how that plays out. I mean... My father had Parkinson's, which is a different uh, disease, but it has that similar quality of, of slowly robbing somebody you love. You, you watch it in real time as the person disappears. And I remember, uh, this is, ooh, I might cry, but I won't. Uh, I remember my dad was in hospital, and my, mom, and my mother told me the story, and she went to, she was visiting him, and as she was leaving the room, he turned to her and said, um, who'd have thought it would end up like this? And I remember when my dad died, I suddenly kind of got, oh my God, they were young and in love once. You know, my dad owned a motorbike. You know, they were uh, this cool young couple. And yet that was where their journey ended. Um, tell me a little bit then about young Graham Norton. It was Graham Parker, actually. Wasn't Walker. It? Walker. Walker, Walker, Walker. See, look, I told you, you can't rely on anything. I haven't She's even hanging on by a thread. <gasps> it's a miracle I'm still upright. <laughs> this could be my last ever appearance. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to know about... Because we, we grew up at the same time in Southern Ireland. But you look so young. <laughs> Don't start that again. And I was considered a freak because I'd come from Norway and had a bit of an accent then. And, and, you know, wasn't Irish, and I had peanut butter and jam sandwiches, and we had duvets, or dinas, as we used to call them. Wow. And that was, like, really exotic, but also to be disparaged and to be extremely suspicious of. Yeah. You wore dresses, given half the chance. Yes. And were a, a, a bedwetter, by your own admission. Yes. So I'm thinking that your school days must have been pretty difficult. Now, it is weird, because when I, yeah, I wrote this autobiography, and I kind of skirted over this, because skirted, uh, <laughs> because um. I didn't know what to say about it, because I do look back at myself as a little boy, and as a little boy, I did, I did like wearing my sister's dresses, I did wet the bed, and, and that should have been difficult, but my parents were kind of amazing. Uh, they just kind of rolled with all the punches, um, and they never stopped me from, you know, where do I, and they would protect me. If there was a sleepover or something, they would, they would talk to the mother of the other parents and kind of go, this might happen, and everyone was kind of cool with it. Um, to the point where I remember uh, I must have been about oh, 20, 
and uh, we were back in Waterford, where I, that's where I'd been. Kind they of think a, you're still having sleepovers at that oh, point. Oh, right, no, <laughs> no, no, not that, no. This was me and my mother, me and my mother, uh, we were in Waterford, and uh, where I lived when I was like four or five, and we bumped into a, an old neighbour, and we were chatting, and the old neighbour and said, oh, and do you still like dressing up, right? And my mother, what was going on in her head? She must have thought, oh, he's still doing acting. So she went, yes, he does. <laughs> Neighbor's face was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, But no, I, it, it, I don't know how. I, think, I remember when I went to, to primary school, my mother said to me, uh, she kind of sat me down, kind of the only advice she ever gave me, and she sort of sat me down and said, you know, if people are mean to you, people will try, you know, uh, don't react. Don't react. That's what they want. They want a reaction. Don't react. And so I didn't. I, I took it out. And it, I think it makes you uh, probably emotionally quite distant and cold, but uh, it did save me from being bullied in school because I wasn't, I wasn't a satisfying person to bully. But you were nevertheless quite eager to get out. Oh, yeah. I mean, because... Of Ireland. Of Ireland. Of, of... And, and that was growing up in, in Ireland in the, you know, I, I was 63, so the 60s, the 70s, the early 80s. I was so ready to get out of there. You know, I knew the world was happening elsewhere. I wanted to escape. I had, you know, and even now, you know, people say, oh, would you leave if you were growing up in, in modern Ireland? And I think I would. I think I'd still have the curiosity. I think I'd still want to get out there and, and see what else was, was in the world. But withholding your first novel, and I think, you know, actually in, in all of them to some extent, you know, the, the characters that you, that you zoom in on most, the characters that, that you're most interested in as a, as a writer, tend to be outsiders. In the first one, as you said, you didn't want to make him gay, but you wanted to give him qualities that made him not feel a part of the crowd, yeah. made him feel a part. From the crowd and and that I think is autobiographical yeah I mean that's the way I can write about male characters you know in that that's the man I grew up being but yes it is about your masculinity and how you are expected to fit in particularly back in the 70s in in rural Ireland it was a one way for men to be and I wasn't that way um, so if I want to put men in these books <laughs> they either need to be gay or othered or apart or separate in some way uh, so that i can get inside their head so when do you still feel like an outsider because you're an insider in so many places aren't you you're an insider in your village in west cork you're an insider in the world of media that you describe you know you've I don't know. I mean, what's happened to me in my life and career is odd, you know. In, but I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I like being in, in Bantry, County Cork. Uh, I remember I did a talk in, uh, in Bantry, County Cork to like an after-school group. And it was really cute, and these young kids were there. And this girl put her hand up and she questioned, it's like, what's it like being famous? And, uh, I, you know, that's, it's kind of a good question. Of what is it like being famous? And then it came to me, it's like living in Bantry. Uh, in a, everyone knows your business, and there are people you want to avoid in the supermarket. Uh, and I think that's why I like it there, because although my job is a bit more exotic, 
they know me, but I know a lot of them. You know, that's Anne who works in the butchers, that's the guy who works in the car thing, that, that's the guy who came and fixed my gates. You know, you know who they are. Um, so it's, you could kind of, as you say, kind of become more of an insider, you're kind of part of that community. Whereas walking down Oxford Street and having everyone know who you are, that's a much weirder experience. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, I mean, it's almost impossible to find anyone say a bad word about you at all. Even, like, reading book reviews, they're all good. Um, but people did get a bit upset about J.K. Rowling and, and, and you having her on, um, on, on Virgin, I think. Was, do you think about cancel culture in any great shape or form? Because the other thing I was struck about when I was in Ireland very recently was just that it's almost... It almost doesn't exist there because... Because Irish people just talk, you know, and they can talk about anything and nothing. And that's not to say that, you know, terrible things haven't happened in Ireland, as we, as we know, you know, whether, whether with the church or, you know, in terms of the, the troubles and so on. But there is a sense that nothing is off limits so long as you go about it in the right way. Maybe that's the thing. And maybe. I don't know. I, mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, what's interesting is you... You, you, you read a lot of articles and papers by people complaining about cancer culture, and you think, in what world are you cancelled? I'm reading your article yeah, in a newspaper, <laughs> or you're doing interviews about how terrible it is to be cancelled, or, you know, so I think the word is the wrong word. I think uh, the word should be accountability. You know, I think, you know, John Cleese has been very public recently about complaining about what you've got to say. And I just think it's, 
It must be, and it must be very hard to be a man of a certain age who's been able to say whatever he liked for years, and now suddenly there's some accountability. There, are, you know, it's, it's, it's free speech, but not consequence-free. And so, you know, I'm aware but, of but saying, aren't mean, you, aren't you aware? When you, when you do so, like, I'm aware of I, the things I say. I'm usually after the event think, <laughs> you know, but that's just, that's just me. But what about then, I mean, th th that's, that's a very easy target, isn't it? A sort of, you know, middle-aged man is used to saying what he wants, rule the world, mansplains everywhere he goes, etc., etc. But, but for example, J.K. Rowling then. I mean, that, 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 that's harder to, to make a point with, isn't it? When you look at someone expressing what may or may not be popular opinions, but to, to, to be deluged with the kind of anger, rage, um, and attempts at censorship, it seems to me something more than just a, a middle-aged man kind of not being able to say something he used to say in the days of empire. Yeah, I mean, what I feel weird about this is when I'm asked about it, then I become part of this discussion. I know, that's discussion. what I'm wondering. And, and all I'm painfully aware of is that my voice adds nothing to that discussion. And I'm sort of embarrassed that I'm somehow drawn into it. You know, and if people want to shine a light on those issues, then, and I hope people do, then talk to trans people, talk to the parents of trans kids, talk to doctors, talk to psychiatrists, talk to someone who can illuminate this in some way. You know, I'm very aware that as bloke off the telly, you know, your voice can be artificially amplified. And once in a blue moon, that can be good. But most of the time, it's just a distraction. And it's just, you know, it's for clicks, it's for whatever, you know, that you can put my name in a headline, you know, Graham Norton slams, Graham Norton defends, Graham Norton weighs in on. And actually, Graham Norton shouldn't be in your headline. If, if, you, if you want to talk about something, talk about the thing. It doesn't, you know, you don't need to attach a Kardashian or a whatever to a serious subject. The subject should be enough in itself. It, you know, it's the Michael Gove thing about, you know, enough of experts. No, please can we have some experts? But I think you would also argue that, um, that discussion is good. I mean, it's, it's what you've mostly spent the whole of your, of your, of your career doing. Is, no, is I, sit I sit beside people laughing at them. That's my job. <laughs> my job, sit beside people, laughing at them, and, and, and telling them every film I've seen is marvellous, every song I've ever heard is great, every book I've ever read is brilliant. People think you've got no taste. No, no, uh, my, opinion, my opinion is worthless. <laughs> worthless. Um, one last question uh, about the Eurovision. Woohoo! Um, I am sadly overlooked, yeah. I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> I mean, this venue alone. Uh, Lovely. Well, are you excited about Liverpool, number one? Uh, but number two, do you have a favourite? Because I actually thought, I mean, what makes a great Eurovision? Um, I actually thought that last year with the Kalash Orchestra, Orchestra. Uh, I thought that was my favourite Eurovision since ABBA. It's, you know, Eurovision is clearly a very, you know, it's a silly thing. It's a song competition and it's full of camp nonsense and, you know, and I love it. But this year... When, uh, you know, the jury vote put uh, Ukraine somewhere in the thing, and it was probably, I don't know, maybe that was where they should be. And then when the popular vote was coming in, you know, you suddenly, a chill went through you because you kind of thought, 
you know, because I was very aware that the man doing my job was sitting in Kiev in a bunker, yeah. you know, doing the commentary on Eurovision. And you just were very aware of Ukrainian people watching Eurovision. When that huge wave, that tsunami of votes came in for Ukraine, it was just lovely. It, you know, it was political with a small p, because it was just the people of Europe going, we do feel for you. We do know what you're going through. We do support you. We do want you to live in peace. It was, like I say, it just every now and again, Eurovision does something that just kind of breaks my heart. I, I just loved that moment. It was kind of profound. Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.